Hey guys, and welcome back to another episode of Caitlin Cracks the Code. I'm your host, Caitlin Anderson, and this week we're going to be switching up the podcast a little bit, so I will not be having a guest on. It's actually just going to be me, and I'm going to be doing a solo episode today. I could not be more excited to be doing a solo episode because I've been wanting to do one for so long, and I figured today would be the perfect day to come out with one because I am going to be in Salem, Massachusetts when this comes out. I'm recording this just a few days early. It is Thursday, September 22nd, and if you're listening right now on the day it came out, then you're listening on Monday the 26th, but I am actually in Salem, like I said, and I figured why not do a solo episode on the Salem Witch Trials since I am here in Salem and it's around that time of the year. It's almost Halloween. I just felt like everything aligned with doing a solo episode, so that is what we're going to be doing today. I want to preface this episode to say that I am just so excited to be going to Salem and to be actually visiting these spots that I'm talking about in this podcast and to learn even more about the history of the Salem Witch Trials. This trip has been one that I've always wanted to do and I've kind of worked my way up into making it come true. So I've just, I've always thought about going to Salem around October and I've always loved the month. It's my birthday and I love fall and Halloween. And eventually I put it on my vision board to go to Salem and that was last year and I never made it happen. I just never really focused on it or made it a priority. But this year I was like, I have to go. I've been wanting to go for so long. So I made it happen and yeah, I'm just really, really excited to be going. I did put together a little bit of an itinerary just because I don't want to get there and be completely lost and not know what to do where to go eat, or all that stuff. So I just want to go over a few of my plans that I have. Um, This is not all set in stone because you know how vacations go. Things come up and you may find something you want to do when you get there. But these are a few things as of right now that I think I definitely want to go do. So of course, if you're going to Salem, you have to go to the Hocus Pocus filming locations. If you're a Hocus Pocus fan, then you know that that is like one of the main things you have to go see in Salem. So that is definitely a must for me. It's so cool too that I'm going right when the second Hocus Pocus is coming out. Um, On September 30th, it's coming out on Disney Plus. So that is really exciting. I know they're going to have some really cool Hocus Pocus themed like food and events. So that's exciting. I can't wait to see all of that. Of course, there's going to be a lot of Halloween stuff since it is the last week of September and we're going into October. So a lot of Halloween stuff is going to be around and I already have scheduled a ghost tour and I just can't wait for that because that one is like an adults only ghost tour. So I believe it's the only one in Salem and that is the first night that I get there that I'm going on this ghost tour. It's like an hour and a half and I think that'll be a lot of fun. Some other things that I wrote down, I actually wrote down like seriously three pages. It's a little bit ridiculous and I've never planned a trip like this before. Um, But I just really want to be prepared. Like I said, I've been wanting to go and do this for so long. So yeah, I just have a lot of stuff written down, but I'll just go over a few things I have here. And that is the House of the Seven Gables is in Salem. The Daniels House Tour, Peabody Essex Museum, 
Charter Street Cemetery, which is the oldest cemetery in Salem. It was founded back in 1637, so very, very old. Of course, the Witch Trials Memorial to see all of that and learn more history on that. I want to check out the Hawthorne Hotel. Definitely have to walk down Essex Street. There's like everything on that street. A lot of stuff is happening down there. There's so many restaurants and like little cafes that I saw that were recommended. So a few of those are Jolie Tea Company, Odd Meter Coffee, Wolf Next Door Coffee, The Derby Restaurant, Rockefeller's, Ledger, Sea Level Oyster Bar, The Ugly Mug, and Turner Seafood. I have so much more written down here, but I'm just gonna end it there because there is no way I can squeeze all this in to my trip. It's just a lot, but I would definitely recommend if you haven't already, follow me on TikTok. I'm going to be posting so much content on there and my recommendations and everything I'm doing. So you can find all those videos on my TikTok at Anderson. I'll also be posting on my Instagram as well. So that is what's coming up for me and what I'm up to this week. And with all that being said, let's go ahead and get into cracking the code on the Salem Witch Trials. Let's get cracking. Let's take it back to 1692 in Salem, Massachusetts, where these witch trials took place. So a lot of stuff took place in the courts and they have so much written down and it's really well documented. But honestly, even to this day, we still don't genuinely know 100% what really happened. And the reason for that is because the official primary documents, these were written by people who knew they were going to be out there for the public to read and to see. So what we don't have is private journals and personal letters written by Puritans because really they didn't do this often. But we just have those official primary documents that were written by people who knew other people were going to see them. Now, Salem wasn't the only place that witch trials were happening. They were happening in other areas as well, in young America, and even other countries. But in all these other places, they were just mild panics. Nothing compared to the events that took place in Salem. What went down in Salem was that they actually lost their mind for a little period of time and it just went ballistic. Something to know about these Puritans that lived during this time is that they were described as being very quarrelsome and they had a lot of land disputes. They were stacked on top of each other. They really didn't want anyone coming onto their land and they were described as just being very argumentative. And by the way, there was Salem Town and Salem Village. That is the areas we're going to be talking about. But these Puritans in general, they would just take each other to court over a drop of a hat. So this is how they would settle a lot of the disputes they had and how they would get each other's attention. So that's a little bit how things went down in Salem Village, which is actually called Danvers today, and also in Salem Town, which is just Salem. And a side note on Danvers, that is where the state asylum is located for the famous horror film Session 9, if you've ever seen that or heard of that. And to describe the Puritans a little bit more, they were who were in control in Massachusetts Bay Colony. They had a really strong hold on ruling, and they didn't like anyone who was not a Puritan. So they didn't like Quakers or Catholics. 
and I heard that they even tortured Quakers who wouldn't repent. So as you can see, they just really liked being in control. For the most part, most of them did. However, there were a few who disagreed with what was going on, and they did feel that it was taken out of control and just way too far, but a lot of them were too scared to speak up, and for good reason. If they did speak up, they would then put their own life in danger because they would be defending someone who was accused of witchcraft, so a lot of them would just stay quiet, even if they did disagree. Two pretty big people that I want to mention that were a part of these trials and kind of known as the villains now. The oldest one was named Increase Mather, and then the younger was named Cotton Mather, and he was the son of a Mather. To describe the Mathers, they were very preoccupied on the subject that demons were real, people could be possessed, and there were real witches out there. A lot of Puritans believe this as well. It's just that the Mathers really harped on this and were kind of obsessing over the fact that real witches could be a very, very harmful thing to their town. Now let's go back to 1692 and talk about the very first two girls who were ever accused. So these two girls were ages 9 and 11 years old, and they were named Betty Paris and Abigail Williams. And how this started was that these two girls began to behave in the most bizarre ways. They started barking, they were convulsing, and basically just acting extremely odd, and they've never acted like that before. So because of this, Samuel Paris, who was the head of Salem Village Church, he brought in this doctor to see what was going on with them and see what he says about all of this odd behavior. After the doctor saw them, he said that these girls had been bewitched. So this is essentially what kicked off the Salem witch trials, and this was the very beginning of it all. Some people claimed that this was a hoax and that these two girls were just putting on a show, but the Puritans were very smart people, even if they were a bit extreme. Plus, these girls were said to be vomiting and behaving in the most bizarre ways for very prolonged periods of time. And at ages 9 and 11, I just can't imagine that they would be putting on a show for this long. People do blame the doctor and think that he never should have mentioned the term witch. And had he not, that this probably all would have played out a lot differently. Because when he used that term, it broke out like mass hysteria spreading through the village. When these two girls were asked what was going on and people were wondering why these things were happening to them, these two girls began to blame their dad's slave named Tichiba. They said that it was her fault and that she was a witch. So this is what began all of the accusations. And first they had started with Tichiba, and then they redirected their accusation to two other girls. Those two girls were named Sarah Good and Sarah Osborne. So all of these accusations caused all the girls around the whole village to begin accusing one another of bewitching them to the point of insanity. And now I'm going to call out my introverts who are listening because if you were a man or a woman who didn't socialize much and you just kept to yourself, you would have had the biggest target on your back. So you definitely would not have wanted to be around during that time. People who weren't well known and out in the open a lot, they were really easily accused back then. So all of these accusations are circling the village like wildfire and the jails are filling up. 
Things got so wild that they even arrested a four-year-old, and her name was Dorothy Good. She did eventually get released, but she was held for months. She was held from March to December, and that is so sad for a four-year-old to be stuck in jail for that long, especially when I saw how bad the jail conditions were. They had dirt floors. They were chained to shackles. I don't think they tended to the prisoners too often because one woman actually birthed a baby in jail and they just left her daughter in there with her. So the baby ended up dying in the cell, which is so sad. And the craziest part of all of this is everything that I've mentioned so far. This is all just the beginning and this is just when the accusations were flying around. The actual trials hadn't even started yet. So the jails began overflowing with over a hundred people accused of being witches. So with the jails filling up so quickly, they realized they had to do something to establish a special kind of court for all that's going on and to handle all of these matters because they couldn't just keep throwing people in jail. There was not enough room. So they established a court and they called it Oyer and Terminer. And this was to help to get all of these people either out of jail and set them free or to have them executed. Now, I do want to mention a man who made a pretty big decision that played a big role in these trials, and his name was William Stoughton. He was the chief justice in charge of the trials, and the reason that he gets such a bad rep is that this big decision he made was to include something called spectral evidence. So I will expand on what exactly spectral evidence is, but to go to court, you had to have various kinds of evidence that was accepted, either spectral, confession, two eyewitness testimonies, different tests, and they even went as far as if they found a mole on a woman. They called it a witch's teat, aka a third nipple, and this was used to feed her animal. Yes, that is how crazy things got. So back to spectral evidence. The reason that this one was so big was because it allowed someone to make up basically anything. So for example, someone could say, this ghost or the possessor is actually sitting with you right now, your honor. It's in here with us in this courtroom. And people would do that and this really scared people. The main problem with spectral evidence was that you couldn't really have an alibi because the person accusing you could just say, well, you may have been where you say you were, but your spirit was elsewhere practicing witchcraft. So you couldn't really defend yourself. If you said you're in one place while something happened to defend where you were and to have your alibi, it wouldn't matter because someone could accuse your spirit of actually being where they said it was. So that's what spectral evidence is. You could never defend yourself. You couldn't have an alibi. One crazy story that I read about was that it got so extreme that someone accusing someone else of witchcraft, they got a nosebleed while they were arguing with who they were accusing, and they said that it was them and had to be them because why else would their nose be bleeding? I thought this was so funny because basically anything bad that happens to you, you could just go and blame someone else and say, it was them who caused it by casting a spell. So that's what I mean by how this got so out of hand. You couldn't even have a pet or a folklore book in your house without being accused of being a witch. Now the first actual trial was held on June 2nd 
And then on June 10th, so just a little over a week, Bridget Bishop was the very first person hanged. This whole ordeal lasted from June of 1692 until May of 1693. And wrapping up and gathering numbers here, the final numbers seem to differ wherever you look. 19 people hanged, 5 people died in prison, but there were other people who died just because they couldn't pay their debts. These hangings were done in mass hangings in July, August, and September, so they would hang them all at once. And then after they were hanged, they were put into a mass grave. And there's no definite evidence on where these hangings took place. So there is a memorial at Proctor's Ledge. And that is definitely a place that I will be going to see. But I've seen a few places that even though it's treated as the exact spot of the hangings, we really can't say for sure if that's where it took place. And if you've heard of The Crucible, the story of Giles Corey, he was actually pressed to death. So he was crushed. And that is when you lay down and they would pile boards on top of you and just keep adding more and more weight until you eventually die. And I could not believe Giles was 81 and had this done to him. Eventually, the governor created a new court where spectral evidence could not be used. And then in January and February of 1693, dozens of people were released and found not guilty. So by May, there was no one left in the jails that was accused of being a witch. So that is the background and story on the Salem Witch Trials. And you can't help but just be saddened by so many innocent lives that were lost due to some of these crazy, bizarre accusations. I hope that you learned something today, a little bit of history on a subject that maybe you didn't know that much about, or even debunked some of the things that you've heard before. I'm just going off the best research that I've done, but you definitely want to do your own if you want to know more about it. Like I said, I am in Salem right now, so if you do want to see everything I'm doing and keep up with me, I will have my socials linked in the show notes. Next week, we will be back to regular schedule with a guest. And just to give you a little hint, if you're still listening and stayed till the end, this is for all of my caffeine lovers out there. I think that you'll take something away from the episode coming up next week with my guest. He is a very smart man and someone that I have looked up to for a while, so it was really cool to sit down and talk with him. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of Caitlin Cracks the Code. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate and review it. Let me know what you want to hear next, and I will talk to you guys next Monday.